welcome back to Then Again. I am Marie Bartlett, and I am the director of the Ada May Ivester Education Center here at the Northeast Georgia History Center. And today I have with me Eric Montgomery, the executive director of Historic Augusta. Thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you for having me. I always enjoy talking about Woodrow Wilson. So could you please tell us a little bit about yourself and Historic Augusta, Inc.? Yes, so I'm Eric Montgomery, and I'm the executive director of Historic Augusta, Inc., which owns and operates the boyhood home of President Woodrow Wilson. And I've been in this position nearly 33 years. So I was here all through the acquisition and planning and restoration and and original opening of the president's boyhood home. Oh, wow, that's amazing. So you are very invested in this historic site. Yeah, I've been been here the, the whole time. Um, So as you were saying, one of the properties that Historic Augusta manages is the boyhood home of President Woodrow Wilson. Now, I probably most people don't think about Woodrow Wilson having Georgia connections. Uh, When you think about presidents in Georgia, we think about Jimmy Carter and Peanut Farms or FDR and Little White House in Warm Springs. But I was really surprised to find out that Woodrow Wilson had lived in Georgia as a boy and that this home that he lived in is now the oldest presidential residence in the state of Georgia. Exactly. Yeah, that's part of our in- interesting facts that we give to people and that many people are surprised by that. They say they, they think of him as associated with New Jersey. Yeah, I always thought of him as more of a northerner. Mm-hmm. Right. But he started out here and he was actually very much a southerner. That was an issue when he was he was the first southerner elected to the presidency after the Civil War. So that puts him in a unique category. It does indeed. So before we get into Woodrow Wilson himself, can you tell us about the physical site, the house? Where exactly is it? When was it built? What style is it in? Can you walk us through the house per se? Right. Well, the, the Wilson house is located at 419 7th Street in downtown Augusta. Uh, it's at the corner of 7th and Telfair Street. It's catty corner to cross from the First Presbyterian Church because uh, his father was a minister of the First Presbyterian Church and it served as a church man. It was built in 1859 speculatively by a local stove merchant who never lived in it, but he, he built it in 1859 and it was sold to the church trustees in, in early 1860, specifically to house the Wilson family, Joseph Wilson being the father. They wanted to give him a nicer place to live that would satisfy him and hopefully keep him in, in Augusta for a longer period of time. So it's a brand new house. They were the first family to live in it. Oh, well, that's always a nice thing. <laughs> mm-hmm. So... When did Woodrow Wilson exactly move into the residence and how long did he stay? So uh, that, it's interesting because if you read Wilson's biographies, they all say that he was two when they moved to Augusta. He was actually just had passed his, his uh, first birthday. He was just a little past 12 months old. His birthday is December 28th. So that would have been in 1858 that he turned one year old. Well, no, 1857 that he turned one year old and and they moved here in early 1858. But they lived in another house at first that was that was the older parsonage or manse of the Presbyterian Church. But it was uncomfortable and cold and there were complaints about it from previous ministers for a long time. So after they had been in Augusta for two years, 
the church raised to uh, Reverend Wilson's salary from $2,500 a year to $3,000 a year and bought this new house in early 1860, which was valued at $10,000. And they, they bought it from Mr. Jones, who actually had it built. Uh, at a, they paid, they deeded over the old manse to him at a value of $6,000. And then they had to come up with 4,000 cash to pay for it. But in, ten, in uh, 1860, $10,000 for a house was a very nice house. So uh, this, this is a, a solid brick house with uh, something like 14 rooms, including a, 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 kitchen, a separate kitchen and a carriage house in the back. And we own all of that. Exactly what was here when the Wilsons were here is still part of our property. Oh, that's amazing to ha- make sure that everything is still very much intact and where it was originally. Exactly. Yeah, it's, it is amazing. That's unusual for it to last that long. And as you were saying, this is the first home that really Wilson is going to remember if he moved in just when he was right after he had turned one. So how did that shape him? This is really the first home that he's going to remember, this first community and atmosphere that he is going to remember and is going to really shape him in his growing up years is Georgia. So what's going on in Georgia that he is going to kind of be surrounded by? And then also more specifically, what's going on in Augusta while he was living there? Right. So Wilson's very first memory was standing on the front gate out in front of the house. uh, And two men came by in very excited voices saying that Abraham Lincoln had just been elected and there was going to be a war. So years later in a speech, he said that was the earliest thing that he could remember. He ran inside to ask his father, what, what is war? And, and, you know, what's, what's going on here? He was not quite four years old at that point, because that would have been in November of 1860. He would not have been four until December, late December. So, that's how we start our tours. You know, Wilson stood right here as a little boy and heard about the the beginning of the Civil War. And we think it's particularly poignant because not only is his first memory about another president, which he would become, but about another war, which he would oversee the, the first world war. So that's amazing. So what was going on in Georgia and Augusta? Well, that was it. The, the Civil War had begun. Uh, The South, shortly after that, seceded from the Union, Uh, even though his parents, well, his mother was born in England, but was uh, raised in Chillicothe, Ohio, and his father was the son of uh, Scots-Irish immigrants, but was born and raised in Steubenville, Ohio, so most of his family was in the North. So this is the quintessential house divided during the Civil War. And, the, and Joseph and uh, the mother, Jeannie Wilson, had been in the South long enough that they took the Southern side of the war, even though most of their relatives were still in the North. So it's an interesting, I mean, there's so many interesting ramifications of that. Of course, Joseph Wilson was not a Confederate soldier, but he was a Presbyterian minister, and he he went and took part in uh, ministering to the troops. He would take trips. He raised money. 
He was became the head of the Georgia Hospital and Relief Association, which was headquartered in Augusta, which is something like what we would now call the Red Cross. So he was busy raising money for that. He was very involved and at one point the head of the Confederate States Bible Society. They would run, get Bibles printed in the in Europe and England and have them run through the blockade and then distribute testaments, uh, New Testaments mostly, but maybe whole Bibles, to the troops in the field to try to keep their religious education up and, and hopefully they would read it. So he was, the of course, Woodrow was very small, very young. By the way, when he was a boy, they called him, his name was Thomas Woodrow Wilson. They called him Tommy. So often, generally, we'll refer to him in Augusta as Tommy. But, uh, of course, he was so young that he didn't have a direct part to play, but he was an observer. One of the things that happened after the Battle of Chickamauga, a lot of the wounded and dying soldiers were sent to Augusta because we were a larger, one of the larger medical places with more doctors. We had the Medical College of Georgia. We still do. Uh, And so a lot of makeshift hospitals were set up near kind of in the in the vicinity of the railroad station which is only a couple of blocks from the wilson's home the the manse they commandeered the presbyterian church which was surrounded by a picket fence and so that became a stockade and the church uh, was turned into a hospital the congregation had to meet at the in the baptist church during that period and uh and then when it was over and they moved out, there was a lot of damage that was done. But Wilson would have been right across the street and heard the the groans and the, uh, seen what was going on with these wounded and dying soldiers. And they were both Confederates and Federals, uh, as best we can tell, because a number of them are buried, uh, even the Federal soldiers, some of them are buried in our uh, old city cemetery that we now call Magnolia Cemetery. So all of this would have a considerable effect on him for the rest of his life. But one thing he always, even when he lived in the North, he considered himself a Southerner and they kept kind of what they considered a Southern household. He married two Southern women, Ellen Axon from Georgia and uh, Edith Bowling Galt from Virginia. So that that had a profound effect, but also his religious background started here in Augusta, uh, and he was you know very devout Presbyterian, carrying on his father's uh, beliefs and and what he taught him. He was also an extremely well educated. He's the most he's the only president in the United States still to this day who had an earned PhD. Uh, There's some that may have gotten an honorary PhD, but he actually earned it at Johns Hopkins. So he's one of the most educated presidents we've ever had. And of course, much of his career followed as a teacher, uh, which is why he moved around a lot. He actually lived here in Augusta in this house longer than he lived in any other house for the rest of his life, from 1860 to 1870. But because his father was a preacher and a teacher and he was a teacher and a politician, he moved a lot. So so Georgia and Augusta 
uh, in the South affected Wilson tremendously and affected his outlook on life and religious views, educational views, family values, all those things. Is there any direct um, direct examples of his kind of Southern, let me rephrase that. Is there Are there any direct examples perhaps when he gets to the White House, when he gets to Washington, of his Southern influence or his Southern upbringing causing problems or challenges perhaps for some of the other more Northern colleagues? As you said, he was the first Southerner elected president after the Civil War. So of course, I'm sure there were still some hard feelings. Right. Well, he uh, said he rejoiced that the South lost because the consequences otherwise would have uh, changed things in a way that he did not think would be uh, good for the country. But yes, he, he had Southern attitudes and he did have issues with race relations. When he was elected first term, the Southern or the African-American Democrats or many, many African-Americans who often were Republicans up until that point uh, switched to the Democratic Party and supported him because he said he would he would support their causes, but that there were a number of incidents that changed their attitude toward him. They felt that he didn't hold his promises, and he did have uh, a bit of a, I, I guess, overt, in some ways, a little bit more overt than they were used to, negative attitude toward African Americans. I think he gets a bum rap for some of that. I mean, I don't want to argue one way or the other, but I do think that you have to contextualize things when you're judging people in the past. And I think it's easy to point the finger. He did allow the federal government to be segregated, some of the departments, because some of his cabinet ministers urged that. And he did not, he did not, instigated, but he did not block that. So he's been, especially recently, he's been very much criticized for that. But he also said that uh, he's, there's some quotes, for instance, he said, the South is the only place where nothing has to be explained to me. So in other words, he grew up here and all these peculiarities that maybe other parts of the country consider we as Southerners have, he understood all that, so that didn't have to be explained to him. So, uh, yeah, so he definitely considered himself Southern. So now, of course, Augusta is not the only city in, in Georgia that has a connection to Woodrow Wilson. Woodrow Wilson actually has a Gainesville, Georgia connection, too, which is where the Northeast Georgia History Center is located. So can you tell us about Woodrow Wilson's connection to Gainesville? Yeah, sure. So Woodrow Wilson married Ellen Axon, who was uh, born in Savannah, actually lived as a baby here right across the river in Beach Island, South Carolina from here. But she grew up during the Civil War in Rome, I mean, in Madison, Georgia. And then her father got was also it was kind of a prerequisite in this in this larger family that you had to be a Presbyterian minister or the child of a Presbyterian minister to marry in. But uh, her father was a Presbyterian minister and got a church after the Civil War at, at Rome, the first president of Rome. So he met her there. But her mother was 
her maiden name was uh, Janie Hoyt from Athens, Georgia. Janie had a sister named Louisa Hoyt, who married a man named Warren Brown, and they lived in Gainesville. So by the time Ellen started giving birth, they had three daughters. And the first two, Margaret was born in 1886, and Jesse was born in 1887. They were living up north, but in those days, if they could, women went to their mother or, their, or a female relative to, to give birth. I mean, they just needed somebody around to help with it because we didn't have, well, you probably didn't want to go to a hospital back then. That would, that would be a big mistake. So anyway, she came to Gainesville when she was getting close to giving birth to Margaret, the oldest child, and actually had, had Margaret at Aunt Louisa's house in Gainesville. And then when the second child came, Jessie, they came down to, she came back to Gainesville. And I'm never quite sure why she wasn't at Aunt Louisa's house, but she was at the Piedmont Hotel, which was one that General Longstreet owned, who was a cousin. The the Longstreet's were cousins to the Axons. And so that's where Jessie was born in the Piedmont Hotel in Gainesville. But I guess it was close enough that Aunt Louisa could still look after her. Maybe some cousins could help, too. And, of course, both times Woodrow was not here, was not there. (laughs) In those days, the husband was not necessary for the birth. So he came down a little bit later. Of course, you never knew exactly what day the child would come either. So anyway, he he came down afterwards. So that's a a really cool Georgia connection in Gainesville. But as I mentioned, there's several other towns that have a connection to Wilson, to President Wilson and his family as well. Yes, you just mentioned uh, Madison and Athens, all of which are very familiar with very prominent towns from the mid-1800s here in Georgia. Uh, Yeah, the Hoyt's father, Nathan Hoyt, he was a Presbyterian minister, and they grew up in Athens while he was a minister of the First Presbyterian Church there. So... But also, I think it's interesting, as you were talking about, the Presbyterian ministers are kind of a very much a running theme within Woodrow Wilson's family, as well as his wife's family. And perhaps at this time period, it's more common to have a Methodist or, or Baptist being the more prominent denominations within the South. So could you tell us a little bit about the Presbyterian faith and how that kind of compared uh, to other Protestant denominations within the South? Well, I have to be careful here because I'm not a Presbyterian, (laughs) but it's a Calvinist faith. And so it's kind of a descendant of the American version is largely a descendant of the Church of Scotland, which is a Calvinist church and basically Presbyterian church. The family, and, and it's a small group, still is, I guess, relatively speaking, compared to Baptists and Methodists in Georgia. But so it was a small world. Presbyterians knew other Presbyterians and, and uh, affiliated with them in different ways. I mean, Wilson's father was a Presbyterian minister. His sister married a Presbyterian minister. His other sister married the son, I mean, the daughter, I mean, the son of a Presbyterian minister. He was a doctor, but his father was Presbyterian. He, his wife was the daughter of a Presbyterian minister. His, her, her uncle, she had an uncle who was a Presbyterian minister. Her father was, or both grandfathers were 
on, on Ellen's side. One of the interesting t- stories that goes back to Gainesville is after uh, Wilson and, uh, and Ellen were living in, I, I can't remember if they, where they were living, eventually in Princeton. But so because her mother died, she was about 20 when her mother died, 21 maybe. And uh, her father actually lost his mind and ended up in the insane asylum where he died in Billetsville. But so she became kind of mother to her brothers and sister. And the sister was born as a result of the mother. Uh, the mother died as a result of the sister's birth. So Aunt Louisa had taken in the little baby sister and she also took charge of the the brothers to some extent but the older brother stockton went to relatives in savannah the eddie the next brother pretty much lived in gainesville for a good while when he was little so when ellen would come down about once at least once a year to visit she was horrified at eddie's grammar (laughs) because he had picked up I think Aunt Louisa would have been well educated and probably had, but he picked up this kind of mountain lingo and she just, she just said, I, we just can't let him stay here. Her uncle Henry Hoyt was a Presbyterian minister uh, up around Cornelia, somewhere up, up around in that. And part of the time Eddie would go and stay with him. So she jerked him out and took him back to Princeton to make sure he was, he, he had a proper speaking abilities because she she uh even though she was a georgian she is well educated and she did not want that mountain appalachian accent to to be too far instilled in him so i've always thought that was an interesting point that is a very interesting point (laughs) she loved georgia she it wasn't a but she just knew that i'm sure there are places in new jersey that he would have picked up something that she didn't like either but she wanted him to be around that that um, you know, cultured, well-educated atmosphere that would have obviously been available in Princeton. So, are there any more uh, fun facts about Woodrow Wilson and Georgia that you wish that more people knew? Well, he he. Uh, so when he, let, let me just briefly go over his education. So they they left Augusta in 1870, moved to Columbia, South Carolina. So he finished his pre-college education there not it, it was he always had kind of a weird education he started school here in augusta uh, joseph tyrone Derry was his teacher and then he moved to columbia and a, a, a man named barn what was his teacher there but when they moved so then they moved to wilmington north carolina for the father to take another church and that was pretty much simultaneous with him going first to davidson college in North Carolina. Well, that didn't go so well. Wilson was kind of sickly and homesick. And so he didn't even finish his first term. So when he goes home, they're already in Wilmington. So he goes there and then Wilmington, North Carolina, not Delaware. And so then he studies for a while and they decide he's going to go to Princeton. So he does go to Princeton. He graduates from Princeton in 1879. And he, uh, and then he decides he wants to go to law school. And but in the meantime, he's met Ellen Axon on a trip back to Georgia. Well, no, he goes to law school 
And he doesn't finish law school, but he goes ahead and starts trying to practice law in Atlanta, which is when he met Ellen Axon, because his only client was his mother. <laughs> there, there were so many lawyers in Atlanta in the 1880s that he just he couldn't get any work. But his mother had inherited quite a nice fortune from a brother who died out in the Midwest. And his uncle in Rome, James Bones, his mother's sister's husband, James Bones, was one of the administrators. So he had to go to Rome to, to deal with that. That's when he met Ellen Axon. So being in Atlanta, that's an interesting little Georgia tidbit. Trying to be a lawyer in Atlanta during Reconstruction sounds uh, like quite an interesting time. Yeah, yeah. And he, he uh, I mean, he established a lot of, of friendships in these brief periods in different places. But then, of course, after that, she wouldn't marry him until, uh, because after he, he didn't finish law school, but after his law at University of Virginia, he decided he wanted to go get a PhD. And that was at Johns Hopkins. So she said, no, I'm not, I, I, I want to marry you, but I don't, I'm not going to marry you yet. You've got to go to Hopkins and work on your PhD. And I'm going to go to the Art Students League in New York because she was actually a very gifted artist, was considered as a woman, she could unusually in that time, some people thought she was good enough to actually make a living as an artist. So she went to New York to the Art Students League. And, and then after that kind of was done and they got married in 1885, again in Georgia, back in Savannah, her paternal grandparents lived in Savannah because her, her grandfather there was a pastor of the Independent Presbyterian Church in Savannah. So they got married in the manse of the Independent Presbyterian Church in Savannah. And uh, so that's another Georgia connection just keep popping up they do and it seems like he even though he grew up from about the ages of uh right past one to ten in georgia he then spent so to the almost, of, almost 14 oh almost 14 year. so even even more of his more formative years yeah. into his teenage years and then he still when they moved it was up to the carolinas which is still of course very yeah. heavily south, south carolina north carolina then he went to Princeton, which Princeton had a lot of Southerners that went to school there, and then back to school in Virginia, and then Johns Hopkins is in Baltimore, which is borderline, but sometimes considered a Southern state. So, but his his first job, uh, teaching job out of uh, was at Bryn Mawr, and he was Bryn Mawr is a, a woman's school, and it was brand new. He was on one, the inaugural faculty at Bryn Mawr, but he always thought that was beneath him. He really needed to go beyond that because, you know, he wanted to be teaching fellow men and not women, but he started there. And so so it was kind of an interesting uh, period of his life. And of course, he is also the president, which uh, a lot of suffrage, um, his inauguration was almost, well, basically was upstaged by a suffrage parade. So that's a kind of an interesting full circle there for him starting teaching at a women's college uh, and then also being the president to preside over a lot of the the suffrage movement in the United States. Yeah, yeah, and that was going on at a similar time as the First World War was going on. And best I can tell, he was it just wasn't 
foremost on his mind. But I think he gets a lot of criticism for that, and I'm not apologizing for that. I'm certainly no expert in suffrage. But women did get the right to vote under Wilson. Mm -hmm. So, you know, he needs a little credit. Nobody before him ever had right to vote before he was president. So, you know, he didn't veto the bill, and it took, you know, all the states to ratify that that amendment. So anyway, that I think he deserves some credit for that. Yeah. And people, I had a woman come through one time and his second wife was uh, late in, in his presidency. He had a stroke. It's a long story about that. But his second wife, Edith, was considered the first woman, is sometimes considered the first woman president because she kind of had to take over. And somebody came through the house one time when I was giving a tour and they said, well, don't you think his second wife had an awful lot of influence over President Wilson? And I thought for about half a second, I said, do you know any men whose wives don't have an awful lot of influence over them? So, yes, of course she did. <laughs> what do you expect? <laughs> well, I think that's a, probably a very good answer that everyone can relate to who is uh, married. <laughs> That's right. Their their spouse definitely has a fair amount of influence over them. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. So, um, yeah, like all presidents, there are pros and cons and things that they probably wish they had done differently. And we probably wish they'd done differently. But he came at a a very tumultuous time with the even before the war. But then when we had to get into the war, of course, it's why Ellen, first wife die they, they just had had declared war he's and he's trying to think okay now in europe and he's trying to think well what am i going to do how what how are we going to respond well ellen was dying of bright's disease and died in the white house while that was going on so it was a it was a tough time in his life but then he found edith mm-hmm. i was just going to say it's a tough time personally and as a nation right exactly and he was the head of the nation. So we had a lot to deal with. So do you have any closing thoughts about the boyhood home of Woodrow Wilson and his Georgia connections for our listeners? Sure. We'd just love everybody to come and see it if you haven't been. And if you have been, come back. We do. uh, We're open Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. Tours start at the top of the hour from 10. The last tour is at four. We are closed between 12 and 1. The tour takes about 45 minutes, but schedule an hour because there's also a uh, video that's an overview. The house itself is restored to the 1860s period when the Wilsons lived there. But then we have additional exhibits in the video that kind of tell the rest of the story, the entire story of Wilson's life and presidency and significance. So please come and uh, we'd love to have you. Well, thank you so much for being with us today and for talking to us about Woodrow Wilson and all of his Georgia connections. I hope I get to visit the boyhood home of Woodrow Wilson sometime here soon. I hope you do too. And if you do, let me know you're here. Will do. Then Again is a production of the Cottrell Digital Studio at the Northeast Georgia History Center. Be sure to subscribe and leave us a review. It really helps other people discover the show. There are a few great ways to support the History Center. Make a donation online by clicking the Donate button on our website at www.negahc.org. Become a digital member to receive exclusive invites to members-only live streams every Friday at 2 p.m. Eastern. And you can register on our membership page at www.negahc.org. 
We also have an online gift shop with lots of great items for all ages. Use promo code THENAGAIN for 15% off your online order. Valid on anything except memberships and handmade items. We'll see you next week for another episode of Then Again. Thanks, y'all.